Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast, Lucia Knight. Hey, Amy. I'm delighted to be here. Can't wait for this. I've been looking forward to it. Oh, me too. It's been great. I've introduced your colleagues. They've been on the podcast. And now I feel that you need to be heard as well. (laughs) Well, I may not be as entertaining, but I'm delighted to be here. Oh, well, I'm sure you will do it. Your job is intriguing me because you describe yourself as a career satisfaction designer. Mm. Wow. Now, I need to know a bit more about that, as I'm sure the audience does too. Explain. So career satisfaction designer. I spent ages trying to come up with just a quick, short, sharp title for myself uh, that wasn't limiting, but didn't say I ran the world. You know, the world is my desk and I'm in charge of it. But Career satisfaction, I I spent 20 years as a headhunter and in recruitment in the UK and in Australia. And I counted, it's not an exact number, but I I estimated on averages that I've interviewed 3,000 people over the course of my 20 year career. So, and I, the, Towards the end, I was interviewing a lot more senior people, you know, so for the last 10 years, mostly people will be in their 40s or 50s or or possibly late 50s. But all of those people had um, issues, I guess, with work satisfaction. They just wanted more of it and couldn't figure out how to get more of it. And I guess psychologists call happiness life satisfaction. And I love that, that there's a way to measure happiness. It's just in life satisfaction. And so I think the world will be a better place. Oh, dear. The world will be a better place if more people did work that was satisfying. So the second part of my title is designer. So I use uh, like an engineering design philosophy so that once people are ready to design the next stage of their career, we start with identifying the problem and and we move on to solutions and and it's a really very clear design process and I think that's a different way to do it than anybody else in the world. So this is really interesting because you you are headhunting people so some people would have been receptive to those calls and some Mm -hmm. people would have sort of blocked them. Of the people that sort of blocked them did they eventually come around when they realized that perhaps they might not have been as happy and might not have had that life satisfaction that you were providing for them alternatively? I didn't mind if people, I I always had conversations, if they didn't want to engage, that's completely fine. But if someone knocks you, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, I have this interesting position and this interesting business and they want someone like you. I was always curious to why people wouldn't take that call. Why wouldn't you have a 10 minute call with someone if there was a possibility that you might enjoy something more? So uh, I don't really know what's going on with the the individuals who decided to not take the call. uh, And I'm assuming that they were very happy as they were. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I used to work in recruitment, but not not in the headhunting space. I was I used to have temps working, so I, people were volunteering to come to me. But I did have to speak to companies to, to obviously sell them the services. So I I also had that ten minutes. You know, why wouldn't you be curious? But yeah, I guess if you added up all of those ten minutes of people calling, it does add up in your day. So. And, and look, one of the most interesting um, skills that I help people with is to say no. So uh, I think, you know, as you say, if you had 10 calls of 10 minutes every day, you've got no time to do valuable work. So yeah. I, I got that. <laughs> so life satisfaction, you mentioned that that's what psychologists call happiness or they, they've got a, a way of, of breaking it down. Can you explain a bit more about that? Um, I, we, we could go into to lots of psychological detail, but I think that this, the essence of it is that we choose our level of happiness. Yeah. And that, that uh, only when we choose that this moment, this exact moment in this second, are we feeling satisfied and fulfilled with our lot, which has a lot to do with gratitude. Can we start a journey to increasing that? Also, I guess, People are always seeking something in the future. I'll be happy when I become a finance director or I'll be happy when I've paid off the mortgage or I'll be happy when, and you know, that as a concept to psychologists is, is, is just crazy because happiness is, is an idea. It's an idea in our head and we can choose it right now. So in my work, I try to get people to understand what they have that's very specifically and uniquely theirs. And I call this superpowers. So the first thing we do is we find their superpowers because only when you use your superpowers, which are your uber, uber strengths that are deeply connected to your pleasure sensors, can you do joyful work? So lots of people who've that I come across, who've been promoted up up the ladder, up the corporate ladder in their career, they actually move further and further away from their superpowers. And, and I don't think, I'd be interested to, to hear what you think about this, but I don't think that people management is natural for most individuals, for most humans. So if it's a skill that they want to learn, then they can become great at it. But I see so many people who are at the top of some corporate tree who are actually just moving pieces around the board and aren't using the skills that make them feel magic. That's a really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, as you say, this is where people, and you call this, this is where they get stuck because they, they, they've they moved up the ladder away from where they originally started and, and ha- were using those skills on a daily basis. And then those skills get sort of evolve into to different areas, as you say, into some more people management. At what point do people tend to recognize that they are stuck in their life? Generally, it's an age thing. (laughs) I think we as humans, somewhere between our 40s and 50s, now this is just generally speaking, there are some very evolved individuals who get this concept in their 20s or 30s, but mostly the people I see have this moment of re-evaluation in their their 40s or early-ish 50s. Um, and I had one of those moments myself that lasted many years where I had moved up the, the ladder. I used to love what I did, I, I immensely enjoyed it, but I had children, the world changed, we were in a recession. So work became very, very slowly less exciting, less interesting, less joyful. Um, until the point that I felt that I was ebbing away from myself 
And I woke up one morning after a very, very long day. So left, I don't know, pre seven o'clock when the nanny arrived, came back seven o'clock, handed over to the nanny, tried to get my two children into bed really quickly so I could continue work. And I just had a, a seat at the end of a very long day and decided that that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. It wasn't the lifestyle I wanted to live. It wasn't the kind of parent I wanted to be. It wasn't the kind of uh, work that I wanted to do. I felt that I had some potential, but I hadn't got a clue where to point it. Um, so I think I find that people that I talk to typically have a, is this it feeling, going question going through their mind for quite some time before they decide to do something about it. And people call it, or they've called it the sort of the midlife crisis and, and you go out and you buy the Ferrari or if, if you could, you know, that's what, but that's what sort of, or you, you maybe sort of uh, change your partner because you think that's going to give the answer. So there's lots of big shifts that people make thinking that that's going to be the answer, but actually what is the real root of the issue here? So one of the roots that's very complicated, but one of the roots is that we our old definition of success is no longer relevant to us. And so when I was wake, having my waking up moment, uh, my old definition of success was senior people management, decent house, nice car, nice holidays, et cetera. And that yeah, was really, really one dimensional. But it took me to my early 40s to decide to shift what success meant for me and I didn't decide to shift it I just redefined it more personally so when I think when individuals do that the knock-on impacts become become very obvious and you mentioned so there's a this necessary change that people need to make and particularly the career is something that you focus on well how does that sort of manifest in other areas of their life as well so if you are if if we are doing work eight or nine hours a day that is draining the life out of us or is stressful. So we're just not working with our superpowers. We're working outside of them. We're working in our weaknesses. We have to work very, very hard to keep going at a rate of success that we thought was necessary. So, I mean, I see people burning out. I see stress, you know, being way high um, and all of this so that they can just earn the same money to have the big house, the big car, the, and it, it, you know, it requires going inside rather than changing anything outside. So I think, you know, a lot of people around that age group do suffer from stress. A lot of the, the individuals around that age group are also looking after older parents. They have children growing up, leaving. They have um, just a lot of change, a lot of responsibility and not a lot of time for thinking. So I think that this, the, the work that I do starts with okay, what have we got? What are the skills we've got to use? And what do we want? You know, the question, what do we want? <laughs> is one of the hardest questions in the world to answer if you're not really clear on what successful life means to you. And it's funny that you say it's about what do people want, because they very clearly will tell you what they don't want. <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen people write it in lists, you know, oh, that's easy. That'll take me five minutes. Uh, but the what do you want is much more complicated, much more interesting, and much more revealing. And is it not just a case of just sort of changing the negatives into positives? So that no, if only it was as easy as that. 
Okay, so so let's take stress for an example. Yes. So I don't want this level of stress in my life. Okay, so what do you want? Less stress? But that's, that doesn't make any sense. So what do you mean by, so you just have to come down much more. What do you mean by stress? How does stress impact you? Where does this stress start? Who is creating this stress? Is it, is it in my mind or is it, is it someone around me that's creating this stress? And, and so you, once you go to the core, core level, then you realize what has to change. And you mentioned that you were stuck for several years. What did you do to get out of that period of being stuck? Yeah, this, this isn't one of my most impressive stories. So I, I understand this mentality, uh, but I never advise this. Okay, so I think a couple of years of me just getting smaller and smaller and, you know, still being a decent mum, still being a decent wife, but just feeling less important in the world. Um, so what did I do to change that? So after that horrible day, and when I sat down and I decided it just cannot be the same in a year's time, I started seeking out inspiration, I think I'll call it. So I started to to try and find people who changed careers and were happier. I started to, um, but I couldn't find anybody. I didn't know anybody who changed careers. Not one human being in my network had changed careers and were happier for it. Some had retrained and were less happy. And so I did a couple of different things. I sought inspiration through TED Talks. I'm sure you know TED Talks, but I used to, you know, jump into bed exhausted uh, and watch a few TED Talks and, 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 and go to sleep happier. Um, but, but I ended up not, uh, I, I ended up basically signing up for a master's in psychology and it was an escape, a clear escape route. It was not a planned, designed, engineered plan B. But in doing that, uh, masters in psychology for a year I spent lots of my savings doing that um, and I also was a full-time mum for the first time in all my life so it was a very very stressful time and pushed everybody in our household to the edge um, and at the end of that so 12 13 14 months later when I handed in my dissertation and I took a breath I was knee-walkingly exhausted I took a breath and thought geez change cannot be this hard and that's when I started to think this is a problem that the world needs help on and then I started a different kind of research project on uh, people of my age and my generation and how they were designing happier work for themselves but in that period I also so I still hadn't designed my career properly then but what I decided to do was seek out people who had changed careers, who were professionals and had changed careers and decided to find themselves as happier because of that. And I did a couple of those and I loved it. These people were like me, but they'd done it differently. And then I gave myself a challenge to meet or, or interview 100 people who had changed careers after the age of 40 and defined themselves as happier because of it. And that's when my world opened up. That's when I understood that there were some patterns behind successful career change and that there were patterns that I could share with individuals and then I created Midlife Unstuck which is my business that helps people to design careers that fit. I think there's a couple of things there that are interesting but you said that nobody in your network had had done anything to change their careers and you were looking around and nobody was there but it was when you then started to look for people out of your network that you said that the world opened up. Yes. So, so one of the hindrances to people of my age doing 
different or even just imagining different work is that we we can't see it we haven't seen it because if we've been like me in a similar sort of environment for 20 years different companies but the same environment our network is very small so our peer group doesn't or isn't able to help us make the changes that we need so that's why we often start reading books about whatever we're interested in um, and watching ted talks and what you know expanding our environment because once we do that the possibilities expand for us so once i've i've talked to 10 people who change careers i just knew there are millions of them out there and my whole mind shift mindset shifted and possibility the possibilities were endless so how do you help the people now to design those careers that they really really truly want so we've got two parts. So the first is we go within, which is kind of what we've been talking about before. So we do a deep dive into their lovely midlife, you know, what it is. And, and we discover their uniqueness. And often we rediscover their uniqueness because they, they've lost it somewhere along the way. Yeah. And they're comparing themselves with this tiny little network when actually they need to be comparing themselves with the bigger world. Exactly. We've just explained. So we work on. Uh, what's been hindering them and what can enable them. So what are their strengths? What are their superpowers? What's their kryptonite? So th that's a really interesting one. So um, the uh, kryptonite is the arenas or the environment or the people that we work with who drain the life out of us or who bring stress to us or bring um, excessive work to, uh, you know. So once you get clear on what you've got to offer the world that is magnificent get clear on the way that you cannot offer this to the world it all becomes much more uh, optimistic and then we move into the design phase which is about understanding the problem of work identifying all of the constraints you know how much money do you need to earn to pay the mortgage how many hours? Where do you need to work? What could, you know, some of the practical elements. And then we brainstorm. So I get all of my clients to, well, I help them because it's kind of hard to get 100 ideas of what they can do differently, which is a huge number. And no one has ever said they could do it, but they almost always do it. And then we narrow those down to 21 and then to seven and then to two. And then they create a prototype of their new career. Now, often, um, I've made that sound really simple, but often they have to keep doing their current career to pay the mortgage uh, or to pay school fees or whatever. Um, so often there's, a, there's a, a dual approach. So they keep doing what they're doing, but they bring in their superpowers to their current work, which makes them less drained, less stressed, whilst they're creating this lovely plan B. And interesting, I'm just going to pick up on how you reduce those numbers from 121 to 7 to 2 to 1. What are they? Why those numbers? So 100, I chose randomly yeah. um, because it's a huge number and it sounds impossible. But if you can get there or get close to there, uh, the brain has changed the way it works. Yeah. So you're you're trying to see 100 possibilities as opposed to what happens when we first begin that exercise. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. I don't have those skills today. Oh, no, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. So so the possibilities become endless. And then we narrow it down uh, by looking at a range of their personal fears, their, the problems that are exciting to them and the, the, the solutions in the world that they like the sound of. 
Yeah, so we get down to 21 and seven that way. And we get to seven by just taking the impossible ones out. You know, if so, one of my clients recently had this wild idea in his hundreds and he wanted to become a dog groomer. Yeah. And it was a marvelous, fun idea, but it was frivolous because he couldn't, it, it would never earn enough money to, to do what he, to earn what he needs to earn to, to have his family life. So that idea went away. It didn't make it into the final seven, but it was in the final 21 because it was really exciting and fun. And then we, you know, often, it depends on their situations. I'd say 50-50. Often it's 50% want to tweak their work in a way that works better because through the process that we've gone through, we actually realized the actual work isn't the problem, the environment or the values of the company or there's something else that can be tweaked. Um, so 50% of my clients do that. And the other 50 do some weird and wonderful things like gin companies or micro bakers or lots of other cool and interesting things. Yeah, I, I read in your your book exchange the, about the gin lady and I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. What a great <laughs> so so Kate who owns the gin uh, it's called the gin kitchen Kitchens. with her partner I mean she is like the poster girl for amazing career change because she did it with no money like zero money she did it in her spare time uh, she did it on her weekends she's got three kids you know when my clients talk to me about impossibility you know I couldn't do that or I can never do that I just talk about her story because it took a long time but in in less than a year they were in Fortnum and Mason's uh, gin of the month twice in less than a year so we limit ourselves we limit our possibility by saying we can't do something um, and there are loads of stories in the book that that show that it can be done in a million different ways fantastic and we're talking about kryptonite earlier and can people have their own kryptonite within them as well as other people demonstrating that kryptonite? Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> oh, I'll try to explain quickly. Of course, sometimes we are our own kryptonite and it might be uh, some limiting beliefs. It's often some limiting beliefs. I could never change. I could never go back to school. I could never uh, stop doing what I'm doing, or I could never lead. I could never have my own business. So these are just ideas in our head. So I think often we blame others for these limiting beliefs when actually we're choosing to keep them going. So that often with some of my clients, there's just one dominant limiting belief that is getting in the way and it's possible to to change those relatively quickly once you've acknowledged them accepted them and change you know some of the language in our head and what if the people around us who we love dearly are the kryptonite to to what we want to do mm. so we call those the naysayers <laughs> so that's kind of difficult um if it's the people around us in one company, I think that's easier to change. If it's the partner who doesn't believe that we are capable of doing this or isn't supportive of it, or it's our children who want us to just be with them. Most people, our brains, our human brains want us to stay in the same place all the time because at the moment there's no lion trying to eat us yet. So change is difficult for that reason, for us as humans, but we do need to get our family on board to make the changes that we need to make. 
I'm not sure if that's totally answered your question. What do you think about that? I, I agree. I think it's it's very hard if it, if it's someone who is is they're looking out for you is is the way I see it. And it's just probably for me. I just explain from my perspective. It goes back to the a brilliant analogy that I've I've heard once about a beach ball. Is imagine you're holding a beach ball between you and somebody else and it's six colors on it and you've got orange yellow and green on one side and the other one's got the red white and blue you're both seeing a beach ball but you're just seeing different things and you're talking about it in different ways and you're describing it in different ways so sometimes for me it's just it goes back to sort of seeking first to understand and then be understood and and just try and explain why it's important to you and and I think you're absolutely right but I think often we try to explain that before we've got it really clear in our mind. Yeah. And so therefore it comes out in a way that we've, we're still thinking about it as we're speaking it. Whereas I think if it's really clear in our minds, it's much more easily communicated. It's quite funny because I, I mean, I, I call myself a midlife beginner. So I have done several things in midlife and I started out getting very excited about what I was going to do and sort of telling people. And then the responses from others were like, oh, no, that's not going to work. No, it doesn't work anymore, what you're thinking of doing, and especially in property. And she said, I then just said, you know what, I'm just going to go quiet and I'm just going to do it. And then the results will just prove that I can. And it, it does happen. And things did happen. And then again, with the, you know, with the podcast and just getting bigger and becoming more for myself has made so much difference but I just did it in my own way and just let, just ignored other people I, look it, it, there will be the same number of people if you talk to different people they would say go Amy you've yes. got it and then there will be another group that say this won't work and ultimately again it comes back to as it sounds as if you are very clear in your head this is going to work I'm going to try it but also it seems as if you have a lovely experimental mindset so a midlife beginner would suggest that you're always beginning yeah. different things. And you've, you've, you've had so many successes in midlife. Um, I think that experimental mindset is something that doesn't feel very safe when you do it for the first time. And so the naysayers don't have an experimental mindset. But I definitely think that, that people like you and people like me who are um, changing the way we work and changing the world of work for us, um, we have to we have to choose our peers and that's unlikely to be the people who are the naysayers yeah actually it's also really good to have that balanced approach as well in hearing some criticism because it can't just always be full-on positivity totally oh god nobody needs a cheerleader who's not telling the truth you know but you could say i love the idea i've got some concerns about it do you want to hear them and, and then I'm very receptive to, to that kind of naysaying. So what had, would have happened if you hadn't have had that day where you decided, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to escape into psychology. I'm going to watch more TED Talks. I'm going to move on from this career that is I'm feeling very stuck in. What would be happening right now for you? I would definitely be stuck in the same place, probably heading towards being 50-year-old corporate toast, uh, which is my most, um, most read article on my website. So 50-year-old corporate toast is, I have a very strong belief that in corporations, you know, when I looked at my 5250 corporation, there were two people over the age of 50. And this, this, this was a really clarifying moment. And I think I was 43-ish at the time when I, when I left. And I just thought, 
I'm not going to be that. Those people were very good at what their job, they're very, very good at what they did, but they had no longevity and no control over their career. So if I hadn't done what I'd done, I dread, I actually dread to think what my life would be like. I, you know, I, I might still look as if I was successful from the outside, but I would have been pretty empty inside. And I, and I, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but work for my generation is a crucial part of our self-esteem and our self-worth. And when I was doing work that didn't really matter as much as it could or did, I felt very small. And I dread to think what another two years or another five years of that would have felt like. And you spoke earlier about the importance of life satisfaction being happiness. Mm -hmm. How satisfied and fulfilled are you in your work now? So I have um, a little, I'll show you it here, but I basically I have my six superpowers written in my office in front of my screen. Um, And every day I used to, until it became a habit, I used to put a number, like a percentage. What percentage of my day have I used these superpowers? Um, And now I have evolved it to around 60, 65% of every day I'm using those superpowers. And, you know, I'm I'm a small business. It's just me. So there's bound to be things that I'm doing that I'm not, there are definitely things that I'm doing that I'm not very good at. Uh, But as I get bigger, I will outsource more of more of those things that I'm not very good at so that I can spend more and more time. So 60, 65, I'd say is my average. And I'm dead happy with that. And why is it important for you to be working with people, helping them to design their careers? Well, I think I feel as though if I can have an impact on a couple of hours of someone's working day, to show them how they can control the work that they do in a different way and do work that feels deep in their belly satisfying. I'm changing the world one person at a time. So, and if they can do that for seven hours a day, you know, they are then taking home a more energized, less drained, less stressed person. Uh, and that then impacts the rest of their life. So in a way, you have always helped people change their careers no matter throughout your entire life work was it something that you planned or did you fall into recruitment oh dear (laughs) okay you took me there no 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 I totally fell into it so I was a very very poor student and I was applying for all sorts of jobs in big companies because that's what we did then no one ever really worked for small companies straight out of university I had debt up to my eyeballs and I saw this ad in one of the university papers and it said earn 25 grand in your first year. I didn't care what that job was going to do. I, I, I was going to do it. Um, and I went through the graduate program and I still I'm very embarrassed by this, but I still on day one didn't understand what recruitment was. Not a clue. And then spent 20 years doing it. So and I think, you know, sometimes unless you're. Sometimes we fall into careers and because we're grafters and smart enough, we get really good at them. But that doesn't mean they're the right careers for us. So can you adapt your superpowers to any career or do you need to find the right career for your superpowers? Your superpowers are to do with you as a human. (laughs) You can point them at any super problem 
you want to point them at. So, for instance, one of my superpowers is um, pick one: reading and interpreting patterns in human behavior where others can't. Okay, so I use that. I've used that all of my career. I use it in my friendships. <laughs> this is so you know. I would I could analyze applications from four hundred finance directors down to ten in I don't know five hours. I could interview ten of those. And their human behavior would tell me that they would culturally fit with a certain business or a certain person. And now I'm just doing that one-to-one, -one, which is uber uh, satisfying for me. Um, so I'm just doing it one-to-one -one and sort of cracking open some of those patterns in human behavior. I also did it in my book. So interview 100 people, try to find the patterns. So I have a sort of scientific view of human behavior that led me to psychology. So, so you can see there are threads of it everywhere. And was that learned or do you think that was instinctive? Uh, nature, nurture, nature, nurture. Um, I think it was learned. I think so. I'm a um, I'm the only girl in a family of three and I, I'm a communicator. They weren't. <laughs> so I had to, you know, uh, I think it's mostly learned. So, and that's that's why I'm really optimistic that there are some superpowers that I haven't even discovered yet. That, that are going to change my life in the future. So I have definitely practiced all of my superpowers that I've discovered so far in life. But, but for instance, that experimental um, mindset that you and I both have, you know, I, gave my, I give myself a challenge every year. When I, when I started to slip down into this unhappiness, I decided to give myself a challenge that year to um, climb two Alps in 12 hours. Actually, I, it was climb three. I didn't make the three, but I climbed two Alps in 12 hours. Then the next year I thought, well, I'm gonna cycle round the Isle of Wight in a basket bike. And the next year, so anyway, last year was I was going to swim a mile in a lake in the UK. So I did that in the Serpentine. And it has been, I have discovered something. I, I, think, it's, I think it's super, I don't know, I, I can't articulate the words, but by experimenting, I'm creating opportunities to, to find new superpowers. So I think I'm going to be 80, still learning some new superpowers. And people at home, they might be thinking, oh, I don't know what my superpower is. Give another example so that you can people can understand what a superpower looks like. OK, so uh, Kate, the poster girl for uh, career change in, in our 40s, the, the lady who owns co-owns the gin kitchen. So one of her superpowers is, uh, I won't get the language quite right, but it, it's something to do with making things better, making technical things better. So in her career as a defense exec, you know, her role was innovation, okay? So then in her weekends, she started to innovate, to create what she and her partner believe as the best gin in the world or the finest gin in the world. I don't know if they think they've got there yet, but they innovated, changed, I mean, hundreds of different iterations of gin cocktails they tested them so so she's a perfect example of using her superpower but pointing them in two different ways um, I think she also points that superpower at her family so she's trying to get her it was her son I think she said to understand entrepreneurial activities and so so she does this in innovative ways 
I love it. It's fantastic. It's such a great concept. And I think everybody could benefit from exploring their superpowers a bit more. Well, no, not a bit more, loads more. more. (laughs) And it's really, really confidence inducing. So that's probably the the feedback I get most is, is that this is really clear, really understandable. And boy, does it feel great to be great at five different things. Like great, better than most people in your network. So finally, after all of these years of of searching and changing, you you now feel that you you're you're mattering in life. Yeah, I I am definitely doing work that matters. It matters mm. to me. It matters to my family. So uh, probably about a year ago, my uh, elder daughter, who was about eleven, I think at the time, she drew on my whiteboard in my office a picture of a Cheshire cat, and it and she wrote below it, "Mummy." My mummy makes people happy. Oh my God, I loved it. That's fabulous. So I do believe I'm doing work that matters. And if you hadn't, if you lived, continue to live on autopilot, it would be a very different world. Yeah, again, I, I try to think, I hardly ever go there to imagine what that would have been like. So you're prompting me to, to think in a totally different way here. But I... Uh, I dread to think I think I probably would have worked for one of the competitors that I was talking to at the time but I would have taken the same problems to a different place so for those people who are out there and they're at this natural point of reflection what would you sort of recommend that they do so I would recommend they take an A4 sheet of paper and write the word success on it and define it I would then on that same piece of paper, write down their kryptonite. So the, the people, the environments, the situations, um, the industry maybe, I'm not sure, but the things that drain the life out of them. Yeah, and write those down clearly. And then I would start to think about superpowers. Um, and you know, on my website, there's millions of, of articles on how to start doing that. Those are the three things I would start with. Fantastic. So that that leads on nicely to saying thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, Lucia. It's been amazing. People can obviously reach out to you via website. How else can they get hold of you? Oh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to get hold of me. Perfect. I'll put that into the show notes. And thank you. It's been incredible taking us through all sorts of superpowers. I love it. I feel very empowered. In fact, I'm going to go and start looking at my superpowers in more depth today because it's a, I think it's a, it's a great exercise and we should all be doing this. Why, why not? Well, if you need any help, you've got plenty of super. They're oozing out of your pores, Amy. So I don't think that will be a difficult uh, exercise for you. But it's well, been you, great. You say that, but I think I think other people can see yours easier than you. Sometimes you see them themselves. Do you, do you recognize that? So on your A4 piece of paper, ask your partner, kids, cousins, sisters, whatever, what they think you do better than most people. That'll help. Fantastic. Final message to the audience, please, Lucia. So final message will be no surprise to you, but I believe that our lives are filled with infinite potential And we can start to release that potential as soon as we turn off autopilot. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. 
I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.